follow along in the text um, for the message today. It's from the book of Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, which we, we usually think of the Jerusalem Council when we mention Acts 15. And uh, this is right at the end of that chapter. I'm actually going to begin at verse 35, which is the last verse in the paragraph before, but it sort of sets the stage for us. Acts 15 and verse 35, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barn- And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, Confirming the churches, that is, Paul went through Syria and Cilicia. Confirming the churches or strengthening the churches. Very glad to be with you folks again. I love your pastor in the Lord. We were introduced by a pastor who knew both of us. And... uh, By the way, you can leave your Bibles in Acts 15. That'll be where the message will be from. Um, In the earlier part of this chapter in Acts 15 is uh, what we call the Jerusalem Council. And uh, they were settling a question between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles being in the same service together. And uh, the leaders of the church in Antioch came down to Jerusalem. They spoke with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, the apostles and elders who were there. And the Jerusalem church were talking about somewhere between ten and 20,000 people were there, if you remember, earlier in the book of Acts, 3,000 men were saved in one day and 5,000 another day. So this church would be a substantially sized church. And they've had a disagreement over whether when the Gentiles are saved, they should become essentially Jewish proselytes. They needed to convert to Judaism. And, of course, the apostles and, and uh, folks there in Antioch and Jerusalem did not think that that was appropriate. And in spite of the strong disagreements, the whole group agreed on the outcome and the course of action in their controversy 
Oh, sorry about that, David. Try and keep it away from my microphone. And now, from verses 36 to 41, uh, the author of Acts, the book of, or, or uh, the book of Acts, Luke, shares with his readers another controversy, also marked by strong disagreement. It was a controversy between two dear friends on this, in, on this occasion, the apostles, Barnabas and Paul. I don't know if you remember, but in Acts chapter 14, Barnabas is called an apostle along with Paul, who's called an apostle in numerous places in the New Testament. Only this controversy was not settled at least amicably in... <clears throat> In the nicest sense of the word, this led to their separation from each other in spite of their having worked together in the ministry and were very dear friends for years. <clears throat> now, I want to begin by sharing um, some comments from Pastor John Newton. Most of us know John Newton was the fellow that authored Amazing Grace, the hymn that's very familiar, familiar to us. Uh, Pastor Newton was born in 1725. Most of us know a little bit about his life. Um, he was a slave trader. He became a Christian and uh, desired to serve the Lord in ministry, which he did. Most of the years he did that in the city of London became well known <clears throat> for his good advice. And so a friend of his asked John Newton to please give him advice on a letter he had written asking or confronting a friend of his in the ministry who this fellow thought had some errors. He didn't think things were altogether right about his doctrine. So this uh, acquaintance of John Newton's wrote to him and he said, I've written this letter. It's an open letter. It's going to be published publicly. Would you please give me some advice about this? Which was a wise thing for him to do. Now, John Newton's letter extends to three full pages, so I can't read his letter. Uh, but I want to summarize what he said because it's worth listening to, and it does address our particular subject. <clears throat> Thank you, sir. I, oh, I don't think I can drink two of them, but that's okay. Thank you. Maybe it'll just keep me from needing to clear my throat so much to watch it there. <clears throat> um, so he began, and he said, Before you write, spend time in prayer, first of all, for the one you are writing your letter to, the gentleman with whom he had the controversy. It will help your attitude toward him as you write, which is true. If your opponent is a believer, remember that you both will be together in heaven forever. And if he is not a Christian, you do not want your spirit to keep him from becoming one. 
And in Newton's own words, he is a more proper object of your compassion than of your anger. In the second part of the letter, the friend's letter, he said, if you're going to make it public, there are three kinds of people who may read this. Um, Number one, those who differ from your opinion. And number two, those who are lost and do not care one way or the other about your opinion. And number three, those who agree with your opinion. You do not want to convey to any of these a self-righteous attitude. If, If you are trying to correct someone's doctrine, it's very easy to communicate a self-righteousness in your writing. And again, uh, John Newton's language, I hope your performance, the letter that you write, will savor of a spirit of true humility and be a means of promoting it in others. Then finally, Newton said, I want you to consider yourself as you write. So consider the one you're writing to. Consider the people who might be reading it when it's made public. Now consider yourself. And now I'm just going to quote from him a couple of sentences. John Newton said, We find but very few writers of controversy who have not been manifestly hurt by it. I've been saved almost 50 years. I've been in the ministry for about 36 years, and I have found this to be true repeatedly. Even when the person writing is correct in what he's saying, it is the spirit with which the person says it which often hurts him. And then Newton says, What will it profit a man if he gain his cause and silences his adversary, and if at the same time he loses that humble, tender frame of spirit in which the Lord delights and to which the promise of the Father's presence is made. And he's referring to that passage in James 4, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So... Uh, Very good advice. And I think if both of these men, Paul and Barnabas, had remembered this advice before they had their disagreement, then it would have been better for the conversation that they had (laughs) and for us as the readers. So we're going to consider from this text the occasion of separation Verses 35 and 36, and that occasion was a second missionary journey. They just got back from there. Well, not just. They've been back more than a year at this point. And uh, uh, they've been on the first missionary journey described in Acts chapter 13 and 14. 15 is the Jerusalem Council. Acts 16 through 18 is their second missionary journey. And of course, the third missionary journey ended in chapter 21 when Paul was arrested. And we get into the second part, or the third part rather, of the book of Acts.
So let's look at the occasion of their separation. Um, verse 35, Paul, and, uh, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch. This is Antioch of Syria. If you're thinking about geography, there's an Antioch of Pisidia, which is kind of in the center of modern-day Turkey, the country of Turkey, which in the first century was called Asia. And uh, there's another Antioch, it's a very common name. I've told our congregation uh, there are nearly 40 Greenvilles in the United States. So if you say, I'm from Greenville, there's a lot to choose from. I lived in Greenville uh, most of my, well, the first part of my Christian life anyway, and my Greenville was in South Carolina, and it's where my daughter Anna was born, and uh, there were lots of Antiochs. So if you were to ask somebody in the first century, where are you from, and they said Antioch, there were several to choose from, more than just the two that we have mentioned in the Bible. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And we know from earlier in Acts 15 that one of those others who came with them and was also teaching was Silas, the man who's going to join Paul on his second missionary journey. We've said that Paul and Barnabas were close. What is there in verse 35 and 36 that tells you that they were close? Well, they remained in Antioch together after um, Judas and Silas left. Silas obviously comes back. But they were together teaching in Antioch. This is how they first met, as we're going to see in a moment. They're teaching and preaching the word of the Lord together. Even though verse 35 says there were many others also teaching and preaching with them. My guess is their preaching and teaching had a lot to do with explaining the Old Covenant, the law of the Old Testament, and the new covenant, which Jeremiah 31 explains for us, Ezekiel 36, and especially the New Testament book of Hebrews does. Because this is where the uh, controversy was over how should Jews and Gentiles worship together. So we drop down to verse 36. Paul suggests in verse 36... Um, let us go again. Let us, remember, together, let us go again to Galatia, to the churches they planted on the first missionary journey in Antioch of Pisidia, and then in Iconium, and then in Lystra, and then in Derbe. Those are places that we know of where they planted churches. So Paul suggests, you and I, Barnabas, let's go together. There's a history of Barnabas and Paul being close friends from their first meeting. And that first meeting is recorded for us in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And I'll just read over these verses. I don't want you to have to thumb back and forth. But uh, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, and the context of this, if you notice Acts chapter 9, 
That's the chapter that Paul got saved in, that Saul of Tarsus, as he was known of as a Jew, that he got uh, saved uh, on the road to Damascus, and then after a short time staying in Damascus, where he was baptized, where he preached, uh, he went to be with the Lord for three years in the wilderness of Arabia, where the Lord Jesus taught him three years. What an amazing degree a person would have after being taught by Jesus Christ for three years. And the Lord had already ascended to heaven. So this was the revelation of Christ, as Paul says elsewhere. And so after that time with Christ in the desert, Saul came to Jerusalem and he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and they should have been because he was consenting to the death of Stephen, and he was uh, enraged, the scripture says, and uh, doing everything he could to arrest and to execute worshipers of Jesus. He tried to join himself to the disciples in Jerusalem, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him, And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord on the way. How Saul of Tarsus had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that he had spoken to him. The Lord spoke to Saul. And how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. This is the first time they meet. This is the first time they're together. And here's Barnabas defending him to the brethren in Jerusalem. But their closeness continues. The apostles in Jerusalem, after meeting them and being with them in this first visit to Jerusalem, they send him off to Tarsus. It would be better for you uh, not to be here in Israel where you are well known. It would cause conflict with people, I don't really believe he's saved and that sort of thing happening. So they sent him back to his home in Tarsus. Now that's going to become important to remember because he was back there for a number of years. And no doubt he planted churches in and around his hometown of Tarsus. So the apostles in Jerusalem sent Saul off to Tarsus. And uh, in chapter 11... In verses 25 and 26, we are told that Barnabas departed from Antioch, where the church had been planted already in Antioch, and this is a very Gentile, thick church. More Gentiles were there than there were Jews. And this is where this question first came up, was what do we do with these Gentiles? They should be circumcised. They should have to offer a sacrifice. They should join the synagogue. And of course, Barnabas was saying, no, no, that's not right. And I will send to Tarsus for another one of God's chosen men. He departed to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year, Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. 
even after all those years that Paul was gone or that Saul of Tarsus was gone. They still were close. When he wanted somebody to help him in this ministry, he knew that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter the apostle to the Jews, and so he thought, uh, Saul of Tarsus is the man I want for this work. And then they came back to Antioch from... Uh, they were there teaching, and from there they went to Jerusalem, and this is where we meet. In Jerusalem, we meet John Mark for the first time, because that's where he lives. Barnabas and Saul were sent by the Spirit on their first missionary journey, and they took John Mark with them. We find that together these two had risked their lives for the cause of Christ, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They suffered together, Paul and Barnabas did. They served together in Jerusalem and Antioch of Pisidia. And during a whole missionary trip, Barnabas watched his co-laborer was stoned in Lystra. I mean, yeah, I would say these two guys are really close to each other. And here we are in Luke's text. The division of the story takes place in verse 36. And uh, some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And he's talking about Pisidian Antioch and then Iconium and then Lystra and then down in Derbe where they turned around and came back through all those churches. Well, if you look on a map, Derby is just across the Tarsus Mountains from the city of Tarsus. So when Paul wanted to go back, he wanted to go right straight up out of Antioch, through the rest of Syria, and then over into Cilicia, as we're going to see. So Paul makes this recommendation. And, and what's his recommendation? Let's us go together. We've worked together. We are good friends. Let's do this. No doubt Paul and Barnabas had been praying about what to do. They probably were teaching and preaching in Antioch for the better part of a year. And finally, led by the Lord, Paul proposes a trip through their Galatian churches to strengthen the churches. But something happens. And this takes us to the second main point here the issue causing separation. And that is disagreement over the place of John Mark on that mission team. And Barnabas determined to take with them, so in essence, yes, we need to do this. Let's go. We need to go. But Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So he was either there or they had to send to Jerusalem for him. Um, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Now you'd have to be familiar with Acts chapter 13 because when they first left Antioch on the first missionary journey, they sailed across probably just a day and a half or so would it take to sail across to Salamis, the 
easternmost main city on the island of Cyprus. And they ministered there, probably started a church, at least had a, new, a number of converts to the gospel message. And from there, they walked all the way along a Roman road along the bottom of Cyprus from the east end of the island to the west end of the island until they came to the town of Paphos. So uh, Barnabas determines to take with them John Mark, but Paul thought it not good. Why not? Because when they left Paphos, they came right into the region of Pamphylia, the little city of Perga in Pamphylia. And from that place, John Mark left them. We have no explanation for why he left them. He just got on a boat and he came back to Jerusalem where his home is. And we know that's his home because of John chapter 12. Remember when Peter gets led out of prison by the angel and he goes to Mary's house? Mary is John Mark's mother and John Mark was present in the house. And the way we connect John Mark with Barnabas is Colossians 4.10 says... John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. And we know Barnabas was from Cyprus. So, so there are connections helping us understand why these two men disagreed over that. Well, we may call it a simple disagreement, but it wasn't simple. Paul and Barnabas were in Jerusalem for some time at the council meeting, which took place where John Mark lived. So we assume for the first time, they get back from their first missionary journey, they go down to Jerusalem and, hey, Mark, why did you leave us? <laughs> what was the issue? Now they may have known the issue. Like I said, we don't know the background of this, but Barnabas being a son of consolation was disposed to give John Mark another chance. Paul was adamant that John Mark was not ready Say, was, was that really what he was adamant about, not ready? That sounds a little generous to this sharp disagreement they had. Well, I don't want us to think of Paul as cutting off John Mark altogether. For that matter, he didn't cut off Barnabas altogether, as we'll see. <clears throat> Paul was likely somewhat disposed to want John Mark with them at some point, but he may have been concerned that John Mark just wasn't ready yet. Why? Because we know that John Mark traveled with Paul later after this. We're told in Philemon 24, uh, Paul urges uh, them in uh, Colossae to welcome John Mark. In Colossians chapter 4, he mentions that. When John Mark comes to you, welcome him in the ministry. Uh, there's no hard feelings between John Mark and Paul now. There's no problem now. You say, well, what about Barnabas? Well, if Barnabas took John Mark with him, do you think he did a good job of helping John Mark become an asset in the ministry? Well, of course, if Paul wants to use him specifically... In fact, look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, take Mark, meaning take, take him with you, and bring him with thee. 
for he is profitable to, to me <clears throat> for the ministry. Here he is at the end of his life. Of all the people he wants in Rome to see, he asks specifically for John Mark. And not so that he can apologize or make up for whatever the disagreement was about. But because John Mark was profitable to Paul for the ministry. So that's why I think Paul was not aggravated with John Mark for having left them and so he just writes him off. I think in his view, John Mark needed more time. Barnabas thought he just needed more opportunity. Paul was not yet willing, one man wrote, to trust John Mark on another such journey. Now, we understand why Paul didn't want him. That makes sense to me. A guy who's proven unfaithful on a journey, you don't want to have him again on another journey. Barnabas makes sense. Well, not only is he a relative, but he sees good in John Mark, which, which Paul did not see at that moment. And so he cultivates that good as he does what? As he does exactly what Paul said. Let's go to the churches we planted on the first journey and, and confirm them in the word of God. And that's exactly what Paul and John Mark did. Not Paul, rather. That's exactly what Barnabas and John Mark did. And it's also what Paul and Silas do. So, it, it, we can only imagine what it must have been like for two apostles, apostles of God, locked in fervent disagreement, each one marshalling, his own reasons in the form of argumentation, they probably both believed they were following the Lord's leading. And they both were probably right. Because Barnabas and John Mark did God's work in Cyprus, and Paul and Silas did God's work all the way up to Antioch, and from there to Troas, they both grew heated in their discussion. And what did that heat lead to? Verse 39, they departed asunder one from the other. And we look at that as a bad thing. They should have been together. The question is not whether they thought they should have been together, but whether that's what God wanted them to do. And so instead of parting amicably, they did depart with some heat. And Luke, led by the Spirit, this is interesting too, led by God's Spirit, Luke wrote down this incident for us to see that these were flawed men. Yes, even apostles are flawed men. They are not perfect in their day-to-day -day living. Well then, uh, that takes us to our next point, that is the resulting separation. One goes to Cyprus, one goes to Cilicia. 
So Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, just like he and Paul did two years ago. And remember, as I said, what Barnabas was doing was what Paul proposed. Let's go back to those churches we planted. Salamis, we know he planted churches in Salamis, or a church at least in Salamis. And along the way, as they traveled down the length of Cyprus, they probably made at least converts along that way. We know when they got to Paphos, they led Sergius Paulus, the governor of the, of the island, to the Lord. So, so we know Paphos had Christians in it. And this is the mission field that Barnabas and John Mark go to. But Paul chose Silas and departed. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. As a prophet and deliverer of the Jerusalem letter, remember when the council was done, they wrote a letter. This is the way you Gentiles need to behave in a church where there are Jews. And they asked them to accommodate the Jews in four areas. This was the letter that Silas was commissioned to go and share with the Gentile churches. And we find out that Silas was a willing sufferer. Remember Acts chapter 16? Barnabas, uh, or rather Paul and Silas were both beaten badly and then they were thrown in prison. They were locked up and at midnight they did what? They sang songs. <laughs> he was not only a willing sufferer, he was probably a decent singer. And uh, so, so Paul was an, or Silas was an excellent choice to go with Paul. Paul and Silas didn't sail from Antioch like Barnabas and John Mark did. They headed north through the rest of Syria into Paul's home province of Cilicia, his hometown of Tarsus. Verse 41, he, Paul, <clears throat> um, uh, went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Well, this, was, this is where Paul spent time after they asked him in Jerusalem, go up to Tarsus, minister there. People don't know who you are and who you have become. It will be helpful for the churches to be settled down here. And so there were churches there for Paul and Silas to minister to. And then they crossed the Tarsus Mountains and traveled down the Roman road to Derbe and then Lystra and then Iconium and then Pisidia and Antioch. And then if you look on a map, this is when it's described in Acts 16. They tried to go to Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit said no. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit closed that door to them. And so he goes to Troas where he has the Macedonian vision. <clears throat> So, both of these men, going where they were supposed to go, doing what they are supposed to do, from there, uh, we notice in chapter 15, verse 40, the second part of that verse, that Paul and Silas were recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Now, some folks believe that because the text specifically says that Paul and Silas were commended, they make the assumption that Barnabas and John Mark were not. 
We have to be careful as we read the Bible that we don't put the same weight on a statement of Scripture that we put on the silence of Scripture. That's not a good hermeneutic. That's not a good way to interpret the Word of God. If it doesn't say it, then it didn't happen. We know in numerous places where that cannot be correct. And so we ought not to jump to that opinion. Um, We have several verses telling us that John Mark made good in the ministry in spite of having left them in Pamphylia. We have nothing in Scripture to indicate that Paul and Barnabas fell out either permanently or temporarily. Uh, There's nothing to tell us except for that argument. Now, I confess that having that strong language, um, uh, the, the, the expression that their, their uh, uh, discussion, we'll call it, for the sake of their benefit, was so sharp, we can only imagine what this must have been like. One man said it describes, the word sharp describes anger, irritation, exasperation, in a disagreement. Well, they were, they were at least exasperated. But I probably they were sinful in this sharp disagreement. I don't know that for sure. But usually when people speak this way, there's a little bit of anger. There's a heated, I'm right, you're wrong. And so many people come to this text and they say, well, then John, or Paul and Silas were right. Barnabas and John Mark were wrong. But I don't think there's anything to make that definite. John Mark turned out well. So tell me, what kind of job do you think Barnabas did with John Mark as they traveled together? Seems to me he did a real good job. And we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul mentions Barnabas in a favorable light. Are me and Barnabas the only ones who should not travel with a wife? And should not require remuneration. And this was years after the disagreement. Now at this point. This is a conclusion point. (laughs) And at this point in the message. I want to confess to you. That much of my understanding of this passage. Has been influenced by a paper. That my brother wrote. My brother has been a seminary professor. In the U.S. For uh, since 1991. And uh, they have meetings where they have multiple seminaries around the country of the United States, and they meet together once a year so that faculty members can interact by offering papers. And so this paper that my brother offered in the year 2015 and presented at this meeting uh, was entitled Managing Our Differences. And he's talking about the differences between Christians. And we do have them. In our teaching about the church, there's dispensational theology versus progressive dispensational theology. Covenant theology versus progressive covenant theology. In our views of the last things, eschatology, uh, views on the millennium, views on the rapture, are disagreed among uh, brothers in Christ. The, the position continuationism versus cessationism. 
you don't know what those two things are referring to, I'm sure you can find out pretty easily. You could probably just Google it, although I wouldn't give much credibility to whatever Google recommended you get the answer on. But the significance of the Lord's table, the mode and subjects of baptism, church polity, church music, church worship. There are lots of disagreements and controversy among Christians. And I mean Bible believers. I'm not talking about folks that just use the term Christian, but they're not really born-again folks. There are many disagreements. So, so what do we think about those disagreements? Well, I want to borrow from my brother several things he mentions as he goes through this presentation. By the way, the text of his presentation was Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. That was what he was actually speaking about. And, and what were his conclusions? Number one, God never uses flawless people. He never does. Why not? There's no such thing. There was only one flawless person in the entire history of humanity. And his name was Jesus Christ. Nobody else is flawless. Paul never confessed that he was flawless. Neither did Barnabas. None of the apostles are flawless. If you have a question about that, just read the Gospels. You'll find that out. And this is helpful for us to remember. Number two, God can use our differences to advance his kingdom. He can and he does all the time. There were two missionary journeys made. One by Barnabas and John Mark and the other by Paul and Silas. And they were both doing the work of God there. Number three, God uses our differences to glorify himself. And it is amazing that God can do that kind of thing. We think of Joseph in Egypt and his brothers coming back from their father's funeral and them still lying about what Jacob said. This is in Genesis chapter 50. Yeah, you know, just to let you know, Joseph, our father said, don't hold this against us. Uh, and Joseph began to weep. Has anything I have done given you the idea that I held this against you? Joseph forgave them from the very beginning. You meant it for evil. But God took what this person meant for evil and made it count for good. See, God can do that. God can take disagreements like this and say, well, the outcome will be you will go here and minister God's word and he will go there and minister God's word. And then finally, we need to understand why we disagree. One of the saddest things about controversy in Christian circles always, always has been when one or both sides don't understand the issues. And this is true. I wish as a younger Christian I had been more willing just to say, wait a minute now, I may not know as much as I think I know about this or that issue. 
maybe I shouldn't just be so dogmatic about what's right or wrong if I don't even understand what you're talking about. <clears throat> and this all goes back to humility. What John Newton counseled his friend to be careful about. These people are more properly thought of as needing our compassion rather than our anger. And uh, then the truth that one day we'll be together in heaven forever. And I know for some of us that thought just makes us a little fearful inside. We have not behaved very well toward our brothers and sisters in Christ sometime. And folks, that needs to stop. Why? Because that's not what Jesus was like. And God the Father saved us and, and uh, predestined us to be conformed to what? To the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? So helpful for us. And I hope this text uh, is a blessing to you to that end. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your truth. And we ask your blessing upon us, upon these things. Lord, for the truth that is in them, I pray your blessing. If I have not represented what is here, I pray that you would use it in spite of me, Lord, to encourage us to be more gracious and kind and loving to those whom you command us to love. You said, nearly 20 times, you said, love one another. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.